welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to be with you today. And uh, as the title kind of denoted um, or noted, uh, we're going to be taking our text today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7 through uh, verse number 10. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to get there in just a second. Uh, I also want to give just kind of a real quick teaser for next weekend. Uh, especially Germantown campus, you want to be here next weekend. I've got a special announcement I'm going to make. No, the property is not, the property's paid off, but no, the building is not paid off. So I was telling somebody before service, you know, this can happen faster and zeros are for free. So it's, that's not paid off, but, uh, but I do have an announcement about what's going to be happening. Some great news. You want to be here next weekend. I know what it is, but I'm not going to tell you now. I'll be back next Saturday, next Sunday, and I'll tell you. Okay, great. Today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the subject of pain. Aren't you glad you came to church to talk about pain? But this is something we all deal with, and it's something that, quite frankly, we all try to avoid. Because when pain happens in our life, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, it's kind of like a warning that says something is wrong and something needs to change. But the Bible talks about pain. And I, have a, and I, I believe if you're going to have a, a theology of blessing and of goodness and of health, you also have to have a, a counterbalance of theology of pain and suffering. If you're going to have a, ba- of a theology of prosperity, and I do, you also have to have a, a theology of, of suffering and, and how that works together. So I want to talk about pain for, for just a little bit. And I think it's going to be helpful for you. There, there's two types of pain that we deal with, okay? And this isn't really deep, but I think you'll understand it. First of all, there's purposeful pain. There's purposeful pain. There's pain that comes into our life that is purposeful. It's, it's a pain that we endure to become better. Uh, we've seen it in the last couple of weeks with the Olympics. It's, it's, it's these Olympic athletes who endure incredible amounts of, of pain and arduous discipline and focus in order to, to win a medal and to stand on, on to be on the stand and, and, and to, to be awarded you know, top of, uh, in their sport. Um, we see it with, with people who go for higher education and they go through all of the rigors of training in order to, 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 get, to get a degree, in order to excel. We, we see it with... You know, we, we see it where people will allow those types of things to come into their lives in order to help them become better. It's purposeful. Now, there's a diff- another kind of pain, and again, this isn't really deep, but I think you'll understand it. It's what's called stupid pain. You ever seen or dealt with stupid pain in your life? Oh, yeah, don't raise your hand now. We do. It's stupid pain. Stupid pain is a kind of pain that we inflict upon ourselves because we make stupid decisions. And maybe stupid is a bad word in your life, but everybody understands what stupid means, right? And in the words of, 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 of Mr. Gump, stupid is as stupid does. And so the reality is, is that this is the pain in our lives that we do stupid things and it, it brings painful dis- consequences. Consumer debt. We, we, we swipe our way to happiness. Swipe, swipe. And we just say, someday, somewhere out there, I'll pay for it. Somewhere over the rainbow. And then we, we fall apart. Uh, peer pressure. Even just trying to please people, uh, and I think adults, I, I, you know, I spent almost a decade in youth ministry, but I think adults deal with this more than, than high school and junior high students do. Because it's this whole consummate feeling of, I've got to keep up with the Joneses, there's a certain expectation, you don't understand in my job, you don't understand with clients, it's, it's peer pressure. And we do things that are stupid that have negative consequences. Rushing through life-changing decisions and choices. Slow down. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Don't quit. 
Don't resign everything. Don't go move to a deserted island. That didn't work out too well for Gilligan. It's not going to work for you, right? Just, just chill out and just don't rush into the relationship just because you got to be easy. Make sure you got good counsel. The Bible says there's safety in the counsel of many. They're stupid decisions. And, 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 and stupid decisions may give us stupid pain. And, and, and the problem is, is that I don't want to talk about stupid pain. Because none of us need anybody telling us what we did wrong. You don't need me to tell you what you did wrong. I don't need you telling me what I did wrong. I'm not going to spend the next few minutes together berating you for a decision that you already know that you made a mistake over. Is that good? Is that fair? All right, great. Because I know that's typically church, right? Wow, this is a new concept. But what I do want to talk to you about is purposeful pain. When we endure pain in our life that has a purpose behind it, when we endure times of hardship, persecution, trials, tribulations, when we're doing the right thing and it seems like our world falls apart, it seems like all hell is against us, it seems like we cannot get a break and we cannot win and we're just (gasps) gasping for breath to be pulled under again to fight it another day. That's what I want to talk to you about. And Paul discusses this. It's all throughout the Pauline theology of the New Testament. But Paul discusses this and he goes pretty personal in 2 Corinthians Chapter number 12, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. We began reading, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. The NCV translates that a pain in my body. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, Paul says, gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Not in sin, that's two different things. Sin is stupid, right? Get that? Just make sure everybody goes, oh great, I can go do what I want to do. No, I delight in weaknesses and in insults in hardships and persecutions, in difficulties, and pain. I just threw pain in there. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a lot to digest right there. Paul gives this word thorn, a.k.a. pain, and we don't know what it is. Theologians have conjectured, they have talked that it could have been something like a, a physical ailment like malaria, that it was an ongoing sickness. It could have been something like poor eyesight or some type of an eye disease because we do know that Paul speaks of his eyesight failing, and we do know that he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote more of the New Testament uh, than anyone else, and and some of which was written in a way in which he would dictate it, and then he would sign it uh, because of that. Uh, We we do understand that there are some things of that nature going on, Um, but but, and then there's also the the whole thing that there was just a personal issue that he was dealing with. But the Bible never defines what his thorn in the flesh, what his pain of life was. I think that's great. This is just my opinion. I'm just telling you Aaron Cole theology right now. Because I think it's great. Because if it was malaria, somebody could say, well, that's good for Paul. I got cancer. Or if it was bad eyesight, somebody said, that's great, but I got kidney disease. And so because we don't know what it is, it kind of becomes this overarching theme or this fill in the blank for whatever ails you in your life, whatever thing is in your life that's not a stupid pain, not a stupid decision or stupid choice that's caused pain or heartache in your life, but just the pain that God allows into our lives to help us. Now, we know a couple things about this thorn, though. First of all, we know that, that it's a pain that can produce self-pity and bitterness if, if, if not watched. 
that it has the ability, this thorn, to produce a self-pity like, oh, woe is me, and, and who am I, and, and what about me, and God, did you forget me, and why am I out here, why am I locked up in jail? You realize that Paul wrote most of the New Testament while he was imprisoned in a cold dungeon of a nasty jail cell with raw sewage running along with the rats and everything else that was in there. Uh, it, it's, we do know that the pain, that thorn in the flesh, was something that could have caused bitterness in his life and resentment. Um, we know that, that the thorn, uh, that Satan is a cause of the pain, not God. That's important to understand that because God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. And that's not my theology, that's biblical theology. Not, you may say, well, I thought you just said that we have to have a theology of suffering for we have a theology of the goodness of God. We do, but you have to understand where it comes from. God is good, and in him there is no darkness, there is no failing, there is no ability to, to allow that, to, to produce that. But he does allow it to happen. And he allows it to happen because that, that allowing that to happen, he can take even what the Bible says, what the enemy would try to use to harm us for our good, but he's not the origin or the agent of. I teach my kids this. We don't lie. Why? Because we're Christ followers. And what does that have to do with lying? Because lying violates the very nature of who God is. Because if God lied, everything in this world would be thrown into to some type of a chaotic uh, cosmos because God is truth. And in him, there is no lie. There is no image or shadow or, or, or even hint of lying. And he's truth. And because he's truth and he's in us then, 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 and we're in him, then we need to be acting in a right way. Not because lying is wrong. Lying is wrong because God is truth and in him is truth and there is no lie. I don't know if that helps you at all, but that's a condensed version. And, and, and what Paul says here is, look, Satan is the cause of the pain, not God. Satan is the cause of the pain, not God. So stupid pain in life, that happens for me. Right? That's you. That's your fault. Just look in the mirror, take it out, take your little cosmetic mirror. It's me. I'm dumb, whatever. But, but purposeful pain does not come from God. But he allows it. That's important. We'll get to that in just a minute. Why? Because God uses that pain for our good. Paul says it right there. We're all weak. We're all jacked up. We're all flawed. But Paul says, in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And that God's grace that we just sang about a few minutes ago that amazing grace is made perfect. Can I just tell you something? Like, this is just a, I know this is a random thought running through my mind. But the phrase, be ye holy because I'm holy, it's been rolling around in my head for like five or six, seven days. And when it says, be ye holy for I am holy, it's not that we are to strive to be perfect because we cannot be. It's that when we're in him and he is in us, there's a holiness and a purity that can only come from God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son that can only come into our lives because we're flawed, failed humanity. And when we come to the end of ourselves and we can't quit arguing our case and quit trying to be perfect because we can't be, then all of a sudden the holiness of God that's in Jesus, that's in us, we become holy because he is holy. Not for, but because of. I'm not holy because I'm holy. Thus, I could pay for my own sins. I'm holy because he is holy. And I become holy because he which is holy now lives inside of me. And the blood of Jesus Christ casts my sin as far as the east is from the west. And so his grace becomes sufficient for me, whether I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley, whether I'm up and over or I'm down and out. And you have to understand that. That pain isn't, is, isn't, God doesn't allow that to come into our lives to punish us, but really to produce his grace and his sufficiency upon him. 
I'm going to give you a statement, and I'm just going to jump right into this message. Craig Rochelle, pastor of a great church, uh, made this statement. I want to give him props for this, but it's going to be on the screen. The difference between where we are and where God wants us to be is our willingness to endure pain. I'm going to say that again. The difference between where we are or where you are and where God wants you to be is your willingness to endure pain. There's a direct correlation to your willingness to endure pain to be where God wants you to be. Paul talks about this all the way through, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you chapter and verse. But he talks about it right here because he said, look, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that God's grace is sufficient, and his grace is what shows up in my very weakness. For my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, God says. And so, and so that I don't boast of myself, I boast of him, that even in my weakness, even in my pain, even in the thorns of, of, of my flesh, even in the suffering of life, God can be glorified. And so he uses these things. Now, but the willingness that I have to endure pain is directly related to how greatly I want to be used of God. This is all through scripture. To the extent in which you're broken is the extent of which God uses you. The greater a person is broken in Scripture, the greater God uses them. The easier their life is, the less they're used of God. So if you go, bro, I am broken. I feel like I have been thrashed against the wall. Maybe God wants to use you greatly. Now, if you've just made stupid decision after stupid decision after stupid, you seem to come to the end of yourself and ask God to forgive you and help you, right? But I'm talking about there are times in our life where we face things and where we do things and where we, and where we experience things. And we go, why me? Why is this going on? What's happening? You ever felt like that? I want to quit. You ever felt like that? I don't feel like anybody understands me. You ever felt like that? I, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like I can do this another day. I don't feel like I can handle this. I don't think I can handle the weight. I don't think I can handle the burden. Well, in order to endure, there's, there's, there's three things that Paul talks about in Scripture that we need to endure this pain, this purposeful pain in our life as a Christ follower. First of all is we endure unjustified pain. As Christ followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we endure unjustified pain. And if you're a leader, you're really going to identify with this. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, 23, and 24, Paul says this. He writes to the church. Now, compelled by the Spirit, speaking of God, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Look at verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison and the hardships that are facing me. How would you like for God to speak to you like that? However, I consider my life nothing to me if only that I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me for the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul basically says, look, here's, I'm giving my life to sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And every city that God takes me to and every place that he leads me to, the Holy Spirit himself witnesses to me and testifies to me of the hardships I'm about to face and the prisons that I'm going to go into. Not prison ministry, i.e. he's free, but being thrown into prison because of the faith and his, his testimony of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, how would you like that the Lord told you, hey, tomorrow morning you're going to go to Menominee Falls, and tomorrow and you go to Menominee Falls, and when you walk into Starbucks to order your, your cinnamon dolce latte, that they're going to laugh at you and scorn you and make fun of you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you go, and then, and then the next day God's going to send you to, to Mequon, and you're going to go to your office in Mequon, and, 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 and you're going to walk in, and you're going to be ridiculed, and you're going to be because of your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And guess what? Your kids, when they go to school, they're going to be ridiculed. I mean, it's, it's, this, it's this why endure the pain? Why go through it? Paul says, I do it. It's right there in the verse. I do it for the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Where do we get off thinking that as crawlers of Jesus Christ, it's a good shift lollipop? That life's always going to be great. That it's always going to be easy. Can I tell you, according to Scripture, that the more success that you have in life and in ministry and in Christ, the more criticism and the more pain you're going to experience. Let me say that again. The more successful you become in your Christian walk and in your life, the more criticism and the more pain that you're going to, to, to endure. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be criticized. I mean, true at Kathy. The owner, the president, the CEO of, of Chick-fil-A. Let's talk about it. It's all over the news. It's everywhere. I mean, what do you expect to ask a 90-year-old gentleman who's a Christian man, who only plays Christian music, who shuts his business down, the only one in the industry on Sunday to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You ask him what he thinks about traditional marriage, what, what do you think he's going to say? And then who's the intolerant bigot in that? Seriously, think about it. Think about the, 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 the whole, and I know this is a hot potato and I'm all up in it and I'm swimming in it right now, but I'm telling you, the reality is, is why do we not think that when we follow Jesus Christ, we're not going to have some fire at us? The reality is, is that the more successful that I am and the more that I follow Jesus and the more that I do they ask me to do, the more I'm going to get shot at, the more I'm going to have people come after me. The birds at the top of the tree are way easier to hit than the ones in the foliage in the middle. I'm just telling you. I know from Arkansas it's pretty easy, but that's, how, that's pretty much the whole way it goes. And why, why does the enemy use pain? Why does he use critics? Because it's the easiest way for us to quit thinking about what God thinks and start thinking about what man thinks. Think about it. When you're criticized left and right, it's the easiest way for you to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto everybody else, to get your eyes off of him and everybody else. And what does the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, then all these things shall be added unto you. So at the end of the day, when you're following Christ and you experience, you, you experience success, you're going to have unjustifiable pain. You're going to have unjustified criticism. You're going to have people that are going to take pot shots at you. Why? It's biblical. Paul says, look, every time I go into it, the Holy Spirit tells me the hardships and the prisons I'm going to have to encounter. I'll just talk about life church for a minute. I'm in a mood. So you just need to understand this. This is good therapy for me. I thought about just putting a couch out here and just laying down telling you all of my problems. But Life Church decided we're going to be a church that's going to reach people that nobody else is reaching. And if you're going to be a church that's going to reach people that nobody else is reaching, you're going to have to do what no other church wants to do. And when you do what no other church wants to do, all the other churches are going to shoot at you. So there's a long list of people, if you don't know names and numbers, I can help you with email addresses and everything, that don't like what we do. Because here's the bottom line. Christianity and their mindset is all about them. It's all about their eye chair and their comfort. You can slice it six ways to Sunday, but that's the way it is, baby. It's all about their way right away now. You would think this is a fast food restaurant. And they don't like this, and they don't like this, and they don't like this, and they don't like this. And so they go to church A, they go to church B, they go to church C. Some of you may have been coming from church A, church B, church C. You're, we're church D. You're on the way to church E. Glad that you came. Please tithe. Move on before you go to church E. Whatever you need to do. But the reality is... 
is that you get criticized. Nobody criticizes when we were 100 people. Nobody. Nobody criticizes. When we run 100 people, people are like, oh, God bless them. Poor kid. Little redneck kid from Arkansas with a twain. Glad he got some shoes. That jacket's not going to last through January. He's going to learn what insulation's all about. And we got a little growth, and people went, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? They knocked the wall down, did that kind of a deal. I'll never forget being in a service. And being in a room where the board at that time had wanted to do something for Tammy and I as a pastor appreciation gift. And a gentleman in the church who was grossly in sin, and I had been very kind and very gracious. To this day, I'm kind and gracious. He was so indignant that the church wanted to bless their pastor. I didn't ask for it. I didn't know what was going on. I had no control over any of it. Gets up, stomps out, walks out of the church. I'll never come back. And then as the church began to grow and grow, I, I had, you know, when Mark Harris was here, Mark Harris was for him. Mark, Mark's a regular guest, and Mark was here. Mark said, Aaron, what you're doing is phenomenal. You're going to reach people, but I'm telling you, church people are not going to light smoke and lights. We've done it. You're going to lose them. Just be ready. But you're going to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I decided a long time ago, you know, that, that <laughs> there were easier ways to make money and there, and there are easier jobs to do than pastor a local church. This wasn't my idea as God's. But that I was going to, God was, we were going to pastor a church. We were going to do it to reach people far away from God. We were going to love people where they were. We were going to serve them. We were going to help them. We were going to roll up our sleeves. And if the religious people of the day didn't like it, they didn't like it. There's another, don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you. There's another place to go. Because, no, and I don't mean that for a clap. I just mean like, that's just, because I just, I, I, the only thing we can't do in heaven is see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'll be able to sing for a thousand years. I'll be able to eat for a thousand years. A married supper lamb. How many in for that? Woo! Hallelujah. I will be able to sit and talk with Jesus. I'll be able to understand it by and by when the morning comes. But I will never be able to see the redemption of Jesus Christ unfold in somebody's life who's been wrecked by sin on the other side of eternity. And I figure if Jesus says that this is what he loves... And he says, this is the great commission to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. Then that's all I'm going to be about. And we have our critics and we have our people and we have people that get mad. We use too much technology. We spend too much on this. We don't spend enough on that. We're too much about missions. We're not enough about this. I, I get all that. I'm just trying to tell you, if you're going to do something great for God, if you have it in your heart to do something great for God, whether you're a businessman like Truett Cathy, who's going to stand up for what you believe is a biblical principle that you as an American citizen are free to express. Not hatred towards anybody, just what you, not, 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 not hiring people, not, 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 not crossing any laws or any lines, just when you're asked your opinion, you tell your opinion, but because you're such a successful leader, your opinion carries so much weight. Or you're a local church pastor 
who's willing to go somewhere nobody else wants to go and do something nobody else wants to do, you're going to be shot at. You might as well put on the, 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 the Kevlar and go out for another day of battle. And if you can't ha- handle it, don't get off the porch because it's just going to be what it is because that is a part of what we do. And my prayer is, God, help me increase my threshold of pain. Your prayer should be, God, help me increase my threshold of pain. Help me not to allow this to become bitter or pitiful or all about me. Increase my threshold of pain because I'm going to deal with it. If the Apostle Paul dealt with it, I'm going to deal with it. And if I'm not dealing with it, it's probably because I'm not doing something right. The second thing is pain of hard decisions. The pain of hard decisions. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have purposeful pain that's going to come about by making hard decisions. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. Paul says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry may not be discredited. So what he means is we do a lot of things so that no one can discredit the ministry that God's called us to. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In what ways? In endurance, and troubles, and hardships, and distresses, verse 5. And beatings, and imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, and sleepless nights, and in hunger, verse 6. And purity, and understanding, and patience, and kindness, and Holy Spirit, and sincere love, verse 7. And truthful speech, and the power of God, and the weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and the left, verse 8. Glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors. I felt like that before. Verse 9. Known yet regarded as unknown. Dying yet we live on. Beaten yet we're not killed. Verse 10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Success in life is not found in having everything fall your way. Success in life is basically going down to, do you have the ability to make the hard decisions and have the tough conversations? You're going to lead, you're going to have to make the hard decisions and have the tough conversations. You're going to grow a local church, you're going to have to make the hard decisions, have the tough conversations. You're going to grow a great business, you're going to have to have the ability to make the hard decisions and the tough conversations. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's been said that people typically don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. People typically don't change until they hurt enough that they have to. It's kind of like going to the dentist. I hate the pain of going to the dentist. And then it hits that nerve. Oh, right? Thank God for Novocaine. And, 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 but, but, but at the end of the day, if you don't go to the dentist, you're going to deal with abscessed teeth. And once you deal with a tooth that's abscessed, that pain of that tooth will drive you so insane that you have to go to the dentist because the pain of that tooth is greater than the, than the pain of the preventative care that you have to go to to see the dentist. It's the same thing and true in life. That we don't change until we hurt enough that we have to. But Paul says, look, man, we, we deal with the pain of life and the pain of suffering and the pain of these things. Why? Because we don't want the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ to be hindered. We don't want it to be discredited. So we do things. And we're, we're criticized for it. And we, we deal with beatings and we deal with this and we deal with that and we deal with these hardships because at the end of the day, Paul says, I've got to bring this message of Jesus Christ and so I endure it for the gospel. In the church, we're way too polite. 
I mean, the reality is, is that the church is not like a business whose bottom line is about dollars and cents. In the church, the bottom line is about souls. It's people's lives in, in eternity. And sometimes we don't want to say things or do things or make changes of things because it may offend so-and-so or so-and-so. And I get that. But what's the greatest, greater offense? Offending so-and-so, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, or letting people die and go to hell? Really, when we stand before God, what's the greater offense? See, there's times in my role, and I'm just talking about me because if I talk about you, you'll get mad, and so I don't want you to email me, so I got enough going on right now. But there are things in my life and times in my life where I have to make decisions that you as a congregation don't understand because you don't have all the facts. And I'm legally bound that I can't give you all the information from one aspect sometimes because if it's a hiring and firing situation, there's, there's loss. And I'm not an expert in HR, but I have people on staff that are. But I have to make decisions that everybody's going to get. I got to make decisions that I know people aren't going to like. I got to make decisions, hey, I don't even like making them. I mean, this has been one of those weeks, I'm just going to tell you right now, somebody, if you won't be the pastor of the church, see me afterwards. I got some keys, and I'll sign it over to you, all right? Because there's some decisions I've had to make this week that I just don't want to make. Can I just tell you, I'd much rather be on a pontoon boat, just listen to the Zach Brown band, just waiting for the you know, world to go by and just wishing my troubles away. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. Can I just be honest with you where I'm at? Anybody else ever felt like that? Come on, brother, I see that hand. Hallelujah in the back. Oh, we got a few more truth tellers. All the rest of you are liars. So the deal is, is you have those days. Because there's times I have to make decisions that you're not going to understand. There's times i got to make decisions that you're not going to have all the information. There's times I'm going to have to deal with staff members. And the bigger this church gets, the more it's going to be this way. And trust me when I say this. These are people that I work with, that I do life with, that I choose to be with. But there are times I have to make decisions, and those people aren't here. And nobody gets mad when they go to Kohl's and their favorite cashier isn't working anymore because they don't go there for the favorite cashier. They go there for the, for, for the, the value. I just, I just, don't, I just don't know. Y'all like, you know exactly where I'm going. I just don't know. What's, and I'm just going to tell you, the bigger the church gets, the more you're going to have turnover. Do I like it? No. Do you know how much, you know how much time it takes to hire people and to onboard people and to process people? It does. And to find great people. And we got a great staff. I'm telling you, we have a great staff. I'm not preparing you for any more departures right now. I'm just telling you, I, I don't want nobody to go anywhere. Right? And there are times where God legitimately moves people. Like Randall and Hannah, God legitimately moved them. I mean, they're, they're doing well and they're flourishing. And I love them. But there are times where things happen and you got to make decisions and you, and you have to do things. There are times for the church, I have to make hard decisions. And I have to have tough conversations. And I know that sometimes people don't understand that. Why? Because in the church, we're way too polite. Pastors don't want to confront. They don't want to deal with the issues. They just want to get up and preach and love people and have coffee at, at George Webb on Monday. And I wish that was my life too. I, I try to make it my life as much as I can. But at the end of the day, there's more to it than that. And I'm saying the same is true for you. You're going to sometimes have to endure the hardship of hard decisions. Well, there's not an easy, easy cut way. You're going to have to give up to go up. You're going to have to say no to this to say yes to that. 
People are not always going to understand your decisions. Your family at large may not understand your decision. Your kids may not understand the decision. You may not completely understand the decision, but you feel like it's the right thing for you to do. There are times where you legitimately, God moves you from one place to another place, and you've got to make a hard decision or have a tough conversation. Paul just says, look, man, this is all part of it. And I'd ask you a question. What hard decision are you putting off right now? What is it? If you run a company, is there somebody you need to let go? Is there a cut that you need to make? In your own Christian walk, if you're leading and you're moving, is there something that you need to let go of? And, to, and God's been speaking to your heart and you know it's the right thing to do, but you just, you know, maybe it's in your, it's in your walk, it's in your own personal Christian walk. There's something you need to give up in order to go up and you just have a hard time. What's the hard decision that you've been putting off and putting off and putting off and putting off? It's not going to get any easier. And it's painful and it may hurt for a while and people may misjudge you and people may mistake you and people may judge your motives and they may say all kinds of manner of evil against you. They did it with Jesus. Who do you think you are? But if God is speaking in your heart, that's what you need to do. That's the right thing to do. That's all part of the purposeful pain that sometimes we deal with as Christ followers. And the last thing is the pain of pruning. It's the pain of pruning. John, Jesus said this in John's gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. For I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, does, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be given even more fruitful. You are, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. For no branch can, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can, a, can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. For I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch which, which is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciple. There are times in our lives where God cuts us down before he allows us to grow. There are times in our lives where we lose before we win. There are times in our lives where we're reduced before we're blessed. And those times of cutting, those times of reduction, those times of seemingly losing are not fun times. And in those times, you have one of two choices. You either lean into Jesus or you walk away from him. You either trust in the everlasting arm of God or you walk away from him. You either say, God, I'm going to trust in you because I don't understand everything that's going on right now. I don't even understand myself right now, but I know what your word says. I know that you don't change, and I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to submit this to you that you're going to work all these things out for my good. Because right now, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, it feels like I've done what you've asked me to do, and now everything in my life is gone. And that's not comfortable. And that's not fun, and it's not easy. But it happens in every one of our lives. And Jesus says the reason why it happens is not that God's trying to hurt you. He's trying to bless you. 
But he has to reduce you before he can expand you. He's got to prune you before you're able to grow. At my front of my house, I have two hydrangeas. All right? One is flowering over. The other one is like it's just stunted growth. Last fall, before the winter came, I had both of the hydrangeas. I don't, I'm not great with all this, but I had them pruned all back so that they were the same size. Now this summer, of course, we had a kind of a crazy, crazy springtime, which allowed for some really weird growth. But I've got this one hydrangea that is just exploding, and the other one is still stunted. And I understand it's not the nutrients in the ground. They're the same ground, the same, same plants bought at the same time. But one gets sunlight, the other one doesn't. And it's not producing well. And the landscaper told me it would produce well, but it doesn't produce well. And I even went back to look this up this week to go, what's the deal? Just making sure because I had forgotten. Did I cut both of them back because this one's flourishing and this one isn't? And the reality is, is yeah, I cut this one back because I can see where I pruned it or it was pruned. And for every branch that was pruned, there's now three branches that are there. For every one branch that was flowering a year ago, there are now three branches that are flowering. For every one flower that I have, I now have six flowering branches. Because that was pruned. It didn't look pretty in the fall. And it looked the same as the other one did. But it was pruned. And the difference, the reason why it's producing so humongously this year is because it was pruned last year. And sometimes in our lives, we go through the pain of being pruned. Being cut back. God, why are you pulling me back? God, why are you cutting me back? God, why am I not, God, why? God, what's going on? Lord, help me under, God, I don't, I don't, this isn't comfortable. God, this isn't good. I didn't think at this stage in the ballgame I'd go through this. Lord, I thought, and, and, and God just keeps saying, just like Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And it's in those moments that we have to go, okay, God, help me endure God, help me increase my threshold of pain. God, help me to be able to endure this pruning that's going on. I don't know why you're reducing me, but I trust you. That your goal, according to John chapter 15, verse 8, is that I will produce much for the kingdom. So I don't know why my business isn't flourishing. I don't know what's happening in this relationship. I don't know what's happening with this. I don't know why I'm moving. I don't know why this is going on. But I'm going to trust that you know more than I do. And I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to surrender. I'm just going to trust you. That's the scariest thing in the world to do. But you got to trust. And you got to endure the pain, as Paul told Timothy, like a good soldier.